Ashley Norman is a 20-year industry veteran, mother of three, stylist, international independent educator, a brand representative for Schwarzkopf and K-18, and she's also won a one-shot award. Today, we're going to hear all about how she got to where she is. Welcome back to the Hairdresser Strong Show. I am your host, Robert Hughes, and today I'm with Ashley Norman. How are you doing today, Ashley? I'm good. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you. Um, so, like, for the audience, uh, I met Ashley at, uh, at Premiere Orlando, and we I got to co-host a podcast with, with your day off on your day off podcast with Corey. And uh, I really liked your story. And I really thought it'd be really awesome to get you on to this show uh, for to to share your story with our audience. And so I really want to say thank you for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Uh, Okay, so why don't we start with uh, how, you know, how did you get in? How'd you get to where you are? You know, you're doing all these things. Um, Maybe you can start with, did you go to school or do an apprenticeship program? I went to beauty school when I was in high school. I was 17 years old. It was my senior year. And basically, I did an ROP cosmetology program. So it's a government program where they pay for your school um, as like a, you know, continuing education for, you know, vocational training. And um, that's what I did. I did um, basically high school half a day, and then I would go to beauty school at night, and then I would work um, sometimes at a salon on the weekends. So that's basically what I did for, it took me about a year and a half to complete. All right. So uh, hearing you say that you worked at a salon on the weekends, I think mm-hmm. it's really interesting. Uh, do you feel like that had a huge impact on what on you at all in terms of um, you know giving you the exposure before you got out of school? Or not I do really? think, yeah, I do think it's definitely valuable. They have a program where it's like they call it an externship, where you can do you know up to a certain amount of hours towards your licensing in an actual salon. So you had to oh. finish, I think, like uh, 800 hours, let's say. I'm not 100% sure if that's what it was. But it was like, you know, fit, do up to 800 hours. And then after that, you can do eight hours a week in an actual salon environment. And so I started my apprenticeship um, while I was still in beauty school. And that was how I got my first job. So I do think it's it's a value for sure. That's super awesome. I wish we had that here. Like, um, that's one of the things I would love to see students be able to get some of their hours from working in a salon. That's pretty awesome. Um, but it's either or really, uh, anyway. So, okay, cool. So you go to school, you, uh, you, you're working at a salon, you get out of, you get out of school and do you work, are you working at that same salon or did you switch salons? Yeah. So I started at that salon And like I said, so that's really what gave me my first opportunity to work in the actual salon environment. Um, I was also going to college. So right after I finished high school, I started going to college full time. And so I was still kind of working part time. And that salon just happened to be flexible with my college schedule as well. Nice. Nice. So uh, what was that like going to school and, uh, and building a career in hair at the same time? It was a lot. I mean, I am definitely like probably the most collegiate <laughs> hairdresser um, in terms of like, I, you know, I went to school because it was my passion, not because it was, you know, the only alternative. And I think a lot of times we get that stigmatism of like, oh, well, you're just going to be school because college is not an option or, 
you don't think you're smart or this is so this is just something easy. And I, I really don't think it is that type of career that doesn't take high intelligence because it actually takes quite a bit, maybe a different type than, than uh, you know, other intelligences. But um, for me, you know, uh, it was really good for being, you know, a young person to basically stay busy and stay studious. And not only that, like learn work ethic and learn how to study. And so I went to school, I finished my college degree, it took me eight years because I was two two years full time in college and then working part time. Then I got married, took a couple years off of college, then I went back to school part time while I was working full time. So it took me a long time to finish my college degree. And I don't really think that it was something that really pushed me forward in the sense that I could write it on a resume. But if anything, what it did is it really kept me busy through my entire 20s because I was always taking education, whether it be, you know, in the actual university or continuing education within our industry. So I was always working like 50 hours a week behind the chair, going to school at night, studying on the weekends. So becoming a mom, becoming an independent educator, traveling and working behind the chair, like it was a natural transition for me because I never had this like super... Super chill lifestyle. <laughs> That's interesting. So you you spent your twenties and while people were out like partying and stuff, just like out there crushing it, building your building your career and going to school. And so, uh, how how long into your career did you have your first kid? So I had my first 10 years in. So I think I was like 27 or 28 when my oldest was born. So okay. I definitely put in the time and I married my high school sweetheart like two years out of high school. So I was like, it was the summer I turned 20 actually. And me and my husband had been together like I think seven years before we got married. I think we started dating. I was actually 13. He was 16. Pretty young. But however, <laughs> we stayed together and it worked out. So that was great. Um, and now obviously we have three kids and he works with me now. So he was a structural design engineer, has his master's degree and had a 15 year career as an engineer. And just within the last couple of years, he was able to quit his job and join my company full time. Nice. Cool. So, okay. So 10 years in, you have your first child, uh, and what happened in your career, uh, between uh, leading up to your first child? So, um, it was hard, you know, in the beginning we didn't have social media. So the, really the only way to build a clientele back in the day was through walk-ins or word of mouth referral. And because I didn't have the greatest apprenticeship in the beginning, I definitely didn't have the skills to be on the floor, but at the same time, I didn't really want to just wait around and assist and not continue to learn anything. So I just kind of threw myself onto the floor before I was ready and then it took me several, several years to build a clientele because I kind of did it the hard way. Um, that being said, it is kind of what drove me because I had to take it all for myself. So I started my continuing education right out of beauty school. I graduated the summer of 2005. I was, I think, 18, 19, turning 19 years old. And um, I went to the Vidal Sassoon Six Week, which was a six-week comprehensive course for haircutting. And then I got on the floor, but like I said, I really wasn't ready. Um, I was at that salon that I had started at as apprentice during beauty school. That salon did not have a lot of walk-ins, so it wasn't like a very successful salon. Maybe I was lucky to get two new clients a month, 
So it was brutal. You would wait around for eight hours a day, you know, five days a week and maybe get two new clients in a month. So it was very depressing early on those early years. Um, at least me also going to college full time gave me some distraction, but it wasn't until I was able to move salons that I really started to take a little bit more, um, direction. So I had a hairstylist since I was like about 13, 14 years old. That was one of my inspirations to get into the industry in the first place. And she was working at a Carlton International Salon. So Carlton International used to have like this big, big chain of salons all over. And um, they were, you know, usually within, you know, great traffic areas for taking walk-ins and clientele. They had a good reputation because they sent all of their stylists to, to really great education and had a good apprenticeship program. So they had a great name for them. And they were also with Bumble and Bumble back in the day. And so Bumble and Bumble um, obviously is a product line, but they were a chain of salons in New York. And they also had an academy in Manhattan. And so that was another connection that was um, with high advanced education. So she was doing extremely well at the Carlton's in the town that I lived. And she ended up moving and opening her own salon. And I got the opportunity to come and be a part of that salon when it first opened its doors in 2007. So 2007, I was a year into my marriage and um, just really not doing well behind the chair, really depressed with that and just kind of like struggling. And so I was so excited to go work at this brand new salon and they opened with a Bumble and Bumble account. And, uh, you know, they had the opportunity to pick one stylist to be their Bumble and Bumble network educator. So there used to be this program where these Bumble exclusive salons would identify one of their stylists to be the network educator, which was basically a liaison program. So you would fly to New York, take education, and then do teachbacks in your own salon. And it was really brilliant for, for the brand itself because basically what they were doing was, you know, through your product sales, you would get points towards their academy classes. So the academy class was essentially free to the salon owner in exchange for them selling products. And then they would get the opportunity to send one of their stylists to go to these classes. Well, you're still paying for flights and hotels. So now here I am paying my own flights and my own hotels and deferred income for not working behind the chair with that week to go to New York to take classes on how to learn how to use their products and then come back and teach the whole staff how to, to do things um, according to their methodology, of course, but also within the usage of their hair products, which sold more products. So it was really brilliant on 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 behalf of the the product company itself, but it also was a great opportunity for me as a young stylist to go out and get that training. And because it was a new salon, we didn't have an assistant program, and so I was like, well, I don't want people to go through what I went through within the first 2 years of being behind the chair. So, and I know a little bit because at least I have a little bit of this Bumble and Bumble training along with Fidel Sassoon training. So I'll start the assistant program. And I basically just volunteered. And I started by teaching haircut theory with, with the Sassoon method. And um, I wasn't ready to be an educator at all, but I was the only one raising my hand. And so of course, you know, the salon is not going to say no, because it wasn't like I wasn't really asking for additional compensation. So I really just kind of did this for free. Eventually she started adding on, um, you know, some, little bit off of rent and, you know, a couple little perks here and there. Eventually I asked her to pay for my flights and hotels to New York. Um, but essentially like, you know, for next to nothing, I taught at her salon for eight years 
and I continued my education um, out of my own pocket to other academies as well during that time. So um, I went to Tony and Guy often. I also went to DePetro Todd up in San Francisco, which was a big L'Oreal Academy back in the day. Uh, we were using Wella Color. So they had the Wella Studios in Los Angeles. I even went to the one that was in Paris. I've been to the one in, in London. So I was really flying all over the world, New York, LA, San Francisco, Paris, London, back, spending, you know, if I look back at all the education I've taken in the last 20 years, it's got to be easily over $100,000, especially if you include flights and hotels and deferred income. Um, and every single class that I took, I immediately came home, booked a live model and did a teach back. And so it wasn't like I just went and took notes and then didn't actually apply what I learned. The fact that I came back and made sure that I practiced it immediately on a life model, but also in an instructional way, including hands-on, by the way, we, we did hands-on education. So um, I basically taught myself to be a teacher in a sense, at the same time, investing in all the quality education I could at every top academy around the world. So this is really, really interesting. Um, the first thing I want to ask you is do you think that your process, you know, without social media and uh, limitations in general and your ability to uh, execute things that compared to nowadays, do you think that it's if someone wanted was, well, uh, two questions, I guess. The first question is, um, how did you afford it? Like, were you just saving up your money and uh, and not spending on anything else? Where did you have some help? Like, how did you afford all that? Because like that sounds very expensive yeah. for like the first year. Oh yeah, Even and, and it was you know on, on the, yeah, and in the and, you know my first education class at Sassoon, my parents paid for, so that was great. Um, and I think that class was like five or six thousand dollars back in the day, which two thousand five. So let's talk about inflation. That was a lot of money. And my mom had, um, my grandma actually had just passed away and like my mom inherited. And so she actually gave me some of her inheritance money to go and take that class. So that was a really big deal. Um, but also too, um, you know, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of Dave Ramsey, but me and my husband very early on in our marriage went and took a Dave Ramsey class through our church. And I think it was like a seven or eight weeks or something because they go over like the baby steps. And so basically what the baby steps are is it's all about how to manage your finances. And it starts out with like, make sure uh, you have an emergency fund, because if you don't have an emergency fund, if something comes up, it's going to completely derail whatever it is that you're trying to do. So that's step, baby step number one, emergency fund. Then it's to pay off your debts, starting with your smallest debt to your largest debt. So basically, if you have a $5 a month payment, pay that off first then roll that $5 into the payment for your bigger debt. So that's called the debt snowball. Um, luckily at that time, me and my husband, I think the only loans we really had was on our cars because we were living in a 450 square foot uh, <laughs> like studio apartment with a curtain between our living room and our bedroom. So we definitely, we were definitely poor <laughs> in the beginning. <laughs> Um, you know, we had, but at the same time, like we also made it a priority to not go out and spend as much as we could. So, um, you know, my husband, he, uh, had just graduated from college. We literally, I think he had debt and no money in his account. Uh, we had to live in our parents' house for about six weeks before we could get into our apartment and we and our first lease had to be co-signed. 
by my parents so we could rent this tiny, tiny apartment. And, um, and yeah, and, and around the same time too, it was very interesting financially because it, we got married in 2006 and this is, was the peak in the last, uh, market during, um, for, for, uh, real estate. And so everybody was buying these houses because they were being told by their parents, like just buy, buy, buy. It's always going to go up. It's always going to go up. Well, what was happening was, is there was all this suspect lending going on. They had option arm loans and with bubble payments and um, all these creative lending that was going on during that era. And that's eventually what led to the 2008 financial crash. So we witnessed all of this uh, in our early, early marriage. And we saw facing the baby boomer generation who was living it up and buying, you know, this gigantic home with like five bedrooms as their children were moving out and, you know, buying new cars and sending their kids to fancy colleges and vacations and paying for their weddings. Next thing you know, they're all of a sudden downsizing <laughs> and you look up their mortgage and they're foreclosing or they're short selling because everything that they were doing is they were basically their houses had gone up so much that they were taking money out of their home to leverage their lifestyle. And so we saw all of these families that we had looked up to basically like, you know, go out and live on money they didn't really have and then lose a lot. And then now they're in their 50s, you know, looking close to retirement within the next 10, 20 years. And if anything, their their network is worth is now negative. And so we were like, well, we don't want to live that life. And so um, luckily, we had access to this Dave Ramsey training through our church and learned early on how to manage our finances. And that was a huge, huge, huge uh, foundation and cornerstone to everything that we've done today is literally like what Dave Ramsey says is to live like no one else. So later you can live like no one else. And so while the other 20 year old girls within the salon were out partying every weekend, buying Starbucks every day, getting, you know, their nails done, buying, you know, $300 designer jeans. <laughs> I can't even remember the name of the jeans that these girls would wear. I was trying to remember them. I think they were like whatever brand. And now you would get, want to get caught dead in them, which is funny because they had to have like 20 pairs of them. And they were leasing, you know, luxury vehicles, like $400 a month for a lease while living at home, you know? And so we just, we weren't doing that. We were literally, we had a food budget. I remember our food budget was like so ridiculous. I was like $600 for the whole month for both of us. So we were packing lunches. I mean, my husband, you know, he was a brand new engineer at Southern California Edison. So he was doing decent, like for, you know, being in his early 20s, like getting a decent job right out of college. He was top of his class. He's super um, hardworking and intelligent. But he had a lot of coworkers that were doing the same thing, like leasing these BMWs and these Lexuses. Meanwhile, he had a paid off Toyota bottom of the line and, you know, was eating Linguazine every day. And of course, you know, we had people like even my own in-laws were like, you know, you can have that three bedroom apartment. Why are you in that? 450 square foot one. But we had a mission. We wanted to buy a house and we live in Southern California. And Southern California is like one of the most ridiculously expensive places to live in the US. And, you know, even us, like, you know, hard workers, both of us, you know, very good students, um, still like couldn't afford a home. And it just didn't seem right. But at the same time, the crash in the economy was bringing all the prices down at the same time we were saving money. 
So we spent five years just saving our asses off and putting all of our investment dollars into continuing education. So, you know, I remember we had this envelope system where we literally had envelopes of cash and that was our budget. So we weren't allowed to use our credit card. That's one of the things with Dave Ramsey is they make you shred your credit cards. So when you pay everything cash, it really opens your mind. I remember my budget, my personal budget for myself was like $200 a month. Now, that would include if I wanted to get my nails done, a facial or a Starbucks or literally anything clothes, $200, like, I mean, obviously, just for inflation, it's still not a lot of money. Like you can spend easily like 30 bucks, 30, 45 bucks in within like three days at Starbucks, easy peasy, you know? So I remember having my like, take my taking my checks and taking my tips to the bank putting everything in the bank and only taking out $50 of cash and having it in my little, in my little envelope. And, and that's how we lived, you know? And I will tell you, like, it was hard. And I was like, what the hell? How come this girl has this outfit and this? And my assistant had nicer things than me. But I'm telling you, like, living like that for five years has set not only us, like me and my husband off, but it has set our family for generations. Because now what we've built for our kids is a future and their kids and their children's children are now going to benefit because of the foundation that we've laid. And it's, it is a little bit hard even now because I'll see other people who have, you know, this or their, their salons and their academies. And then you look, they don't own a home, they lease their vehicles. And so what is their net worth after they pay for all of these things? So you really have to, you can't just look at what's on the surface. A lot of the time, you know, what's below the surface is really what matters. And for me, I feel like I'm just like this big iceberg. Well, with everything that you see, it's only what that little piece, that little tip above the water, everything else is underground. And you can't flash that underground that often, which is not as fun. But at the same time, it's what gives you security and what gives you the ability to take risks. And you're not a slave to the lender. So there's a Bible verse. It's like the debtor is a slave to the lender. And so basically it's saying if you're in debt and you're in a position where you're living paycheck to paycheck, you're in slavery and you don't have freedom to make choices for your business and you don't have freedom to take investments and make risks. So that's really what has laid the foundation for us is the fact that we handled those early years in our lives so well. It sounds like you uh, made the investment and sacrifice to build a financial, some financial stability. It also sounds like that same attitude carried over into the, I mean, it sounds like you've invested so much in your, in education uh, from an early point. So it sounds like while you were in that, like taking the time, investing, like your, uh, when I say investing, I, I mean, like you're going without, is the form of investing like you're investing like it's a it's like uh, you some would say it could be called a hardship like you're pushing yourself through something that you don't necessarily have to do and i would consider that investment and just like the investment all the education uh so question do you think that um you think that what you did the path you took to uh kind of really get into education and teaching do you think that it's easier or harder for a person that's coming up now? Say they're in school now or they're just graduating now and they're listening to this. Uh, and, you know, is do you think that there's. Yeah. Do you think it's harder or easier? 
this point in time is very interesting. And in some ways it's harder, in some ways it's easier. So what I mean by that is there's positives and negatives to the changes that have happened within the industry. Obviously, when I was coming out, there was all of these academies that were established. And you knew that if you went to these academies, you were going to be taking education from educators that had to climb the ranks within the company and be vetted and tested out before they were allowed to be like, let's say, for example, a Sassoon educator. So the quality was so high. I mean, it was like we would go and we would spend four hours doing hands-on on a live model per haircut, per haircut, you know? And, and it's so just the, the, the level at which, you know, the standard was all the way the heck up here. And I never thought I was going to be any good at cutting. <laughs> and I, I know only within the last couple of years, slowly gotten that chip off my shoulder. Whereas like nowadays is so different because with, with social media, what's happened is, is education has been taken over by the, the, the influencer. So what I mean by that is like now people are seeking out education from people who are popular on Instagram or TikTok or whatever platform it may be. And the thing that's different about an influencer is they're not working with underneath a brand that is testing them and making them climb the rate and making sure they know their stuff, right? So you can make things look flashy and cool on Instagram. You know, uh, maybe you are a great hairdresser, but that doesn't mean you're a great educator. And the skill of educating is totally different than the skill of hairdressing. Just like the skill of content creation is totally different than the skill of hairdressing. And it's something that you have to learn over time. And it takes practice and it takes energy and it also takes education. So one of the things that I even took classes on was on how to teach. One of the very first things that I had to do at Bumble and Bumble was they would record us teaching and then they would sit and, and critique it and analyze it, say where to stand, how to stand, how to speak, how to introduce yourself. And so we've lost a lot of that foundation. And so as a young stylist coming out of beauty school, you know, where am I going to go? Like that I know is accredited, that I know has high standards. If you go and take an influencer class, it's a wild card. You don't know what you're going to get. Maybe you're going to get the swaggy cool kid who's been in the industry for a couple of years but made all the right connections. And maybe they're just going to get up there and kind of like demonstrate something. Maybe it's going to have foundation in theory or maybe they're just going to be like, well, then I do this and I don't really know why I do it, but this works. And so you're going to get a tip or a trick. But maybe they don't do hands-on, so maybe you don't get to practice it right away. And it's like, how are you really going to learn from that? And I don't know. It's, it's, it's tough. I, I see a lot of young people trying to come out and find quality education, but it's so hit or miss because there is no vetting system like there was back in the day. However, the good thing about what happened with social media is it gave opportunities to someone like me to go out and create their own brand. So what I mean by that is like, if I wanted to be a global educator, which is what I'm doing now, I'm traveling all around the world and teaching my own education. If I wanted to go and do that, I would have had to live in the heart of LA, in the heart of New York. I would have had to go work for one of the companies and slowly climb the ranks. Well, becoming a mother and working part-time, there's no way I could have gone to go live in Manhattan and compete with, let's say, single males, for example, that can go and work 50, 60 hours a week, can travel every weekend. There's no way. There was a glass ceiling. 
So the thing that Instagram did do is it broke that glass ceiling for women like myself to create their own flexible schedule while they're creating a family at the same time, still getting the exposure to have their own global brand. So in some senses, it is easier for people coming out of beauty school today because they don't need a salon group. They don't need an academy. They can go out and be their own brand. You know, and so if they make the right connections or whatever it may be, or get the right training, they can blow up so much faster. Like it took me, I mean, I didn't start doing my own independent education until 2015. So I was, you know, graduating from 2005, that's a decade in. And that's with the amount of education, how hard I worked. And whereas people that don't work half as hard, take half as much of the education can get out there and do even better than I am now because they made the right connection or whatever. Maybe they're better content creators or whatever it may be. Maybe they're earlier adapters to technology. So there's a give and a take to it um, for sure. And what I'm hoping to do in the future is bring back a little bit more of the quality and a little bit more of the foundation piece that comes from the traditional academy background, but keep the relevance of what's going on within the industry on a social media standard. How to do that is something I'm you know, working out right now, but it, it, it can be a challenge for sure. Cool. Good. I like that answer. Uh you touched on so many things that I've been thinking about and uh, wanting to talk about. So I'm so glad that you touched on these things. Like, yes, uh, social media has enabled basically anybody who can build a following uh, to become an educator. And which I think is incredible because like you said, like the whole concept of having to the process, like I, I had a couple of opportunities to get into education with L'Oreal and um, the process was like, by the time I realized the steps I had to take, I was so far into my career, I was never going to be the assistant of somebody. Like, I was like, I don't want it that much, you know? And now I don't have to go through that. But like, I learned education in a, a company that had 15 locations. So like, we had our own ecosystem. So, so, um, so, but that wasn't recognized by, L'Oreal. L'Oreal's like, okay, well, you still got to stop by the bottom. I was like, is there like a, is there like a audition I can do or, you know, show you that I could jump some of these steps? And it was a no. And, uh, and now like social media, you create your own steps. So just to, uh, just to kind of keep the conversation moving, I'm uh, curious. So, so we, we got your story kind of leading up to your first child and uh, you're teaching at this point. Yes. Correct. Just yeah. starting. Okay. Yeah. Just, just starting. Okay. Mm -hmm. So take us from that point to where you are now. Uh, what, what else had to happen in this time as you were, as you were building your brand and uh, developing yourself, you know, all leading you all, all the way up to, I mean, the independent educator, I think is the really interesting part. Um, if you want to talk a little bit about like brand, how the brands may have helped you build that, or if you leverage what you build to get in with the brands and what the benefit of all that would be, I would love to hear, you know, that part of your story. Yeah. So, um, I was teaching, you know, building this salon for eight years. We started out with like seven chairs and I think we ended up with like, I don't know, 20 chairs by the time I was 
um, about to get out the door. And, um, you know, I, I went to my salon owner who was, you know, my hairdresser since I was, you know, a a, a preteen and I, you know, made her an offer to be her business partner. And she ended up turning that, that business partnership, um, offer down. And it was extremely crushing at the time. It was a big, I felt like, you know, a total rejection, kind of like, dating someone for, for eight years and then asking them to marry you. And I'm being like, actually, no. And it, it was tough because, you know, I literally had trained, you know, most of their staff and I built that whole brand. And what happened in the long run, uh, fairly quickly after she ended up turning around and partnering with somebody else. So it was really hard because the credit of what I had spent almost you know, my entire 20, no, my entire 20, it's like 10 years of my life, you know, um, cause I didn't leave right away. I ended up staying there for a, a little, a couple more years. And, um, you know, I spent 10 years, my whole entire twenties there to build this brand and to have that credit be gift to someone else was, was very hurtful. And it, at the same time, that, that was the, the thing that helped me really dig into myself and my own brand at the same time as my husband being like, okay, babies. <laughs> so, um, you know, my husband, we were married already, like, I don't know, seven, eight years or whatever it was. And he was like, I'm so ready to have a kid. He had finished his master's degree. And um, I was close to finishing my bachelor's or I was had just finished my bachelor's degree. He's like, hey, you know, like, um, are we going to do this or not? And I was still like, so scared of the, the idea of becoming a mother because I was so ambitious. And I wasn't ready to just kind of like take a step back and and coast. And at the same time, my husband was going over our finances the Dave Ramsey way. And he's like, you know, like after you pay for childcare and like we pay for like extra like house cleaning and this and this and that, like your work clothes, like realistically, like you need to be making like almost double what you're making now to even make it worth it. Because if you're just going to be breaking even, like you should be raising your own child essentially. And, um, and so that was like, okay, well, how much do I need to make? And he, and he showed me a number and, um, and at the same time, my, my, I had this big rejection from, from my business partner. And, and so, uh, so anyway, like we, we had just gotten pregnant and, um, I went up to my business partner and I was like, Hey, uh, I had this person reach out to me on Instagram and ask me to come teach a class. And she was like, well, you can't be a traveling educator now because you're about to start a family. And I was like, oh, okay, okay. <laughs> now now that you said that I can't, I'm gonna have to go out and prove that I can. So it's interesting because I had basically nine months of pregnancy ahead of me before my maternity leave. I used that nine months as a deadline to build my independent education brand and make that dollar amount my husband gave me. And that's what I did. And yes, she did do that. Stay tuned for next month on December 4th. We're going to pick this conversation up into part two. I just wanted to make sure that 
everybody listening and watching had a chance to really take in uh, Ashley's story. I think it's really important to hear what exactly it took for her to get to where she is and what is it that really had, you know, really impacted her and uh, helped her get to that next level. This is all very, very important and valuable information if you're looking to make a change in your life or your career. And I really like the part where she was talking about educators using social media to build followers and sell tickets. However, the reality is that you never really know what you're going to get uh, unless that person is a seasoned or taught educator. And uh, like she said, teaching is a different skill set than being a good hairdresser. And being a good hairdresser is a different skill set than social media. And uh, you need to ask yourself, who are you paying for classes and education? So while you think about that and leave a comment below, we are going to stay tuned till next month to hear the rest of Ashley's story. All right. Until then, I'll see you later.